Well, welcome back to Work Minus, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work and quick pivots you can make today to get closer to the future of work. Today, our guest is Max Yoder. He's the co-founder and CEO at Lessonly, and this episode is Work Minus Intuition. Hi, Max. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Neil. Excellent. We're so happy to have you on. Max, tell us a little bit about who you are briefly and what Lessonly is. Sure. Yeah, my name is Max Yoder. Uh, I, I hail from Goshen, Indiana, which is about three hours north of Indianapolis. Uh, but I've lived in Indy for nearly a decade. I uh, was brought here by an internship. I knew nobody in the city, uh, and I just love it to death now. Uh, about six years ago, just over six years ago, uh, after uh, trying to build another company called Quipple uh, for about two years. Uh, uh, so let, let me back up. Eight years ago, I started trying to build my first business. Didn't work out very well. Two years uh, after that start, uh, I started Lessonly, and this one's worked out a lot better. Uh, we, we make training software at Lessonly, and uh, we sell it to sales teams and customer service teams predominantly. And the whole idea is uh, don't make people guess what good work looks like. Show them what good work looks like. Uh, and our training software being purpose-built uh, for sales and customer service teams helps us uh, teach people what good work look, looks like and then helps them practice that good work. So if I really need you to be better at maybe stating a value proposition for a new feature, uh, I should tell you how to do it and then I should uh, let you practice doing it. And I should give you feedback on how you're doing uh, because I I think we have a lot of expectations of people uh, and we don't meet those expectations by being clear with with what we expect. Uh, uh, We just kind of harbor those expectations and never say them out loud. So training is all about getting those expectations out in the air so people can uh, align to them and, and do better work. Excellent. And I hope everyone goes and checks out Lessonly and sees what it looks like for real. But what I want to talk about today is this topic of intuition. Before we got on the show, we were talking about some things. You said that intuition is a great way to make a mess at work. It seems like it's a counterintuitive to the messages we usually hear, especially coming from the startup world. So I want you to dive into that a little bit more. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to kind of uh, turn that question around. When you say something like, hey, intuition, we hear a lot about that in the startup world. What do you hear about intuition in the startup world? I hear intuition, go with your guts, make big choices, just kind of off the seat of your pants because it's going to work out in the end if you're passionate enough about it, something like that. I love that. I love that. And I think that is absolutely right. Yeah, there's a lot of that that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I, I like to think of intuition uh, and where it makes a mess of things. It's really in the interpersonal relationships that we have. Mm. That's where I that's where I see it causing us uh, the most consternation. And it's unnecessary consternation. You, you know, if I want to I want to predict where the market is going. So let's say I want to predict where uh, the labor market is going, because it's really important for Leslie to have, you know, a strong labor market, just like it is for any business to have a strong uh, to work within a strong labor market. I, I have to I use a lot of intuition in those situations because I can't go speak to somebody who is the labor market and ask them questions to learn more. I can go get some data, but ultimately macroeconomic things are always have, are always guessed at. They're, 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 you can't just grasp them. Right. Uh, you have to you have to hope. You have to do your research, and you have to have a strategy that you know uh, that ideally pans out. But when it comes to interpersonal relationships, uh, if I don't quite understand where somebody's coming from or where they're going or what they need, that's a conversation away. That's a question away. Uh, and uh, I find that even though it is a question away or a conversation away, uh, we often leave things up to assumption and intuition that, that, that we don't need to. So when I, when I use the word intuition, I'm really just saying, save your intuition uh, for the times that you need it. And there will be plenty of them. Uh, there will be things that are bigger than any single conversation uh, uh, could reveal. But when it comes to interpersonal matters, uh, take the time to ask the extra questions uh, and bring more clarity to the situation instead of assuming uh, and guessing your way toward that clarity. 
Yeah. And I need you to give us a little more personal examples of what you mean by this. Tell us what it means in the the day-to-day life of what it looks like to have that intuition and have it wreck some personal relationships. Yeah, you bet. So I I find that people will uh, have conversations with colleagues and maybe they'll come to me and seek some seek some guidance on uh, on what to do. And maybe those conversations with those colleagues, they realize they're not on the same page. Uh, and they'll come and speak to me and they'll say, yeah, you know, I, uh, he, I think he believes this and I think that he wants that. And uh, my, my, my thought, my feedback is, well, ha- have you asked? Uh, and uh, often the answer is, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of guessing, but here's a couple of things that led me to, to make those guesses. Here's a couple of things that led me to be confident in those assumptions to which I respond, but they're right there. Uh, we don't need to. We don't need to guess where people are going. Uh, we can have open and honest conversations, and when we do that, uh, we show thoughtfulness and respect. So if I if I think that uh, you expect something of me, and I'm reading between the lines on that expectation, uh, and it frustrates me that I think you expect that thing of me, if I'm not making extra time to go, can we talk about this? Because I get the sense that your expectation of me is this, but uh, I want to confirm it with you. Uh, that's just a, a thoughtful gesture. And it's not uh, it's not meant to be difficult to have that extra conversation. It's meant to uh, align to somebody else. Uh, And and I can give you uh, more detail uh, if that'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's dig in a little bit deeper. So you're the CEO of the company. You deal with, especially in the early days, you're dealing with a lot of interpersonal types of things. What are the the common reasons people will come to you to sort out a a personal conflict? They uh, they don't know how to have a difficult conversation and uh, they don't have a whole lot of flex. They they have never really flexed that muscle. I I find that uh, we don't do a great job in our educational system teaching conflict management. Uh, We, we, and think about how much conflict we feel all day long. Uh, I mean, whether it's, whether it's our, 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 our marriages or our personal relationships and friendships or it's work conflict is a, as a nature, uh, as a nature of life. Uh, you have a goal and I have a goal and sometimes parts of those goals might rub together and create some friction. And it's not a it's not a personal thing in that case. It's just you have an organizational responsibility and I have a different one. And every now and then those things uh, will have friction. One example of that is uh, a finance person. Uh, they want to control spending. Uh, a marketing person is responsible for uh, spending money uh, because marketing marketers need to spend money in order to, uh, gather attention, uh, for, for whatever business, uh, they're representing. Mm-hmm. So the marketing person is at odds with the finance person in that the finance person always wants to keep more money in the bank and the marketing person needs to pull money from the bank and spend it more. And of course there can be alignment around the, the finance person understanding that more spending, uh, correlates to, uh, maybe more, uh, people coming to the website or more people buying the product. Uh, but often, uh, marketers are guessing on what to do next. Uh, and they're testing and, and through that spending of testing, it can make the finance person nervous. Nobody's trying to personally offend anybody in that situation. We just have two different organizational demands. We have maintain a, a positive uh, amount of cash in the business versus go out there and spend money in order to attract uh, interest. Those things have, can be talked through, uh, but we're not always taught how to talk through them. So we practice a thing called nonviolent communication at work, which is really just a play by play method for being clearer in your difficult conversations. Uh, and I would love to see nonviolent communication taught uh, to kindergartners all, all the way up. Just like we teach you know, uh, math uh, from, um, from the, the kind of the formative years, first grade on up, we don't teach calculus to first graders, but we teach the basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we build on those basics. And I'd love to see us, you know, conflict management wise, do better about teaching the basics. Because right now what happens is people feel conflict and they don't know what to do. 
So they tend to uh, they tend to not to hit it head on, and that uh, often creates even more conflict. So we're just not helping ourselves, and I want us to help ourselves. And the more we seek to understand one another, and the more we talk about the things that confuse us, the better work we're going to do. So if somebody's coming into your company brand new, what's something immediately they're going to notice that's different about how you work at Lessonly using this nonviolent communication? Sure. Well, one of our values is we have difficult conversations. So they're going to go through, uh, we have Lessonly lessons, you know, with our software, you build lessons. And we, of course, use our software all day long. Uh, and one of the lessons is teaching the mission, the vision, mission, the vision, and the values. And one of our core values is we have difficult conversations. So they're going to see right away that, uh, we're making an agreement that you came into this business uh, and because you came into this business and because you take a paycheck from this business and you want this business to succeed, our agreement is that you're going to have difficult conversations when you feel like they need to be had. You're not going to shirk that responsibility. Uh, it's not just an expectation. It's something that we agree on. You literally check a box that says, I will have uh, difficult conversations. I will abide by these values. Uh, people tend to give a lot of uh, get a lot of excitement around that because they've worked in environments in the past where if somebody felt something, they didn't feel comfortable saying it. And our belief is the more anytime you're inhibiting communication, you're doing a disservice to the business by and large. Uh, we want more communication, not less. It is uh, natural that businesses will create divisions between uh, people and departments, and that will inhibit communication. Uh, anytime we can uh, put forth something that breaks down those barriers and uh, brings more communication, the better. So people will come in, they'll get uh, a book uh, called Nonviolent Communication to read in order to learn uh, about how to communicate nonviolently. We'll highlight the first five chapters as the most important part, but the whole book's really, really good. It's by a guy named Marshall Rosenberg, uh, and that is how they know we're serious about it. Because if I didn't want somebody to speak more, I wouldn't teach them how to speak up. Uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put in the uh, extra effort to say, I need to hear from you. Here's the way I need to hear from you. Uh, I, I wouldn't put any muscle behind that. So I think we're putting our money where our mouth is when we say, hey, we'd really like to hear from you, and we're gonna teach you how to talk. Uh, so that you can communicate clearly uh, and not feel nervous about it. All right. I'm going to ask you a, a cultural question now. You're an Indiana guy. I'm also from Indiana. I find that after having been in other places that in the Midwest, particularly this part of the country, people tend to be a lot more closed off about wanting to talk about conflict. Do you find that that's true that in this part of the world, that it's just we don't open up about those things as much as other parts? Or do you feel like it's a universal thing? Yeah, I, I can only speak to what I what I've experienced, and my experience is right along with yours. That uh, conflict is generally avoided, uh, and it's not for the betterment of any of us that it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It seems like that's a key thing to teach people that just talking about things with a coworker off to the side or, or not bringing it up out in the open it really isn't helping anything, like you said. It is not. It is not, and it's a responsibility of a teammate to uh, help improve the business. You know here. Here's, a, here's an example. I was on the, an airplane last week. Uh, a gentleman had his phone uh, and was uh, playing a video game and the music was up on his phone. So he didn't have headphones in and it was just playing in the airplane. So what naturally happens in those situations, I think, is somebody says that person's a jerk. They must not care about everybody else's peace of mind. But nobody says anything to the individual. Right. Uh, no, nobody's like, hey, sir, do you mind turning that down? So my job is to model the behaviors that I want to see. And because I'm really clear about the behaviors that I want to see, I'm held accountable to actually doing them. Uh, and when in this case, it wasn't about, you know, I wasn't at work, but I was just like, I need to live into the expectations I set for others. So I tapped the gentleman on the shoulder and said, hey, sir, uh, sorry to bother you. Could you please turn that down? Uh, and the, the man was mortified that uh, it was even loud at all. He turned to me three different times about that flight and said, I'm, okay, I'm so sorry about it. I didn't even realize 
the, the volume was up. He just wasn't paying attention. Uh, and uh, just by tapping him on the shoulder and letting him know, he changed his behavior. We don't do that a lot. We don't show people kind of what's in their teeth. I call this like, uh, tell me what's in my, like, I want you to tell me what's in my teeth. Yeah. Uh, 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 if we're friends or even if we're, I'm in front of you, I'd want you to tell me if I had something in my teeth. Right. Well, we don't have. Well, a lot of times people don't tell you what's in your teeth and then you get in front of a mirror later that day and you're like, what the heck? Why didn't anybody tell me? Uh, we don't have mirrors for our behavior like we have mirrors for our physical teeth. You know, we can go in front of a mirror and see it eventually, but our behavior, we don't have mirrors. Uh, the mirrors are what other people see us do. Uh, and if they're not helping us see what's in our behavioral teeth, uh, they're not serving us. And often if we know what's in our behavior teeth, behavioral teeth, we will make changes in order to be better stewards of, of our community or the people around us. It's the, the problem is people don't talk about it. Uh, they don't know how to talk about it. The only way they really know how to talk about it is like, hey, dude, you're being rude. Turn down your phone, which is not the that, that's not the way to go about it. It's an observation that, hey, sir, uh, on an airplane, the expectation is your volume uh, isn't – people can't hear whatever it is you're watching on your device. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you turn it down. Uh, and you know, somebody will, it's kind of hard to argue with that, right? It is the expectation on an airplane that you don't have your boom box playing. Uh, but if we kind of started out with kind of more violent communication, which is like, Hey, so you're being rude. Well, that's not sending anything off on a, on a playing field, but it's going to really, uh, encourage communication. What I'm doing is judging that person acting as though I've never made a mistake myself. Uh, and of course I have. Uh, so why would I, why would I ever want to make anybody else feel that way? I'd want to treat them like I want to be treated. Uh, and assume that they don't even realize this is happening and we should just bring it up so that they have a chance to get it out of their teeth. Excellent. Excellent. And I appreciate the boom box reference. We'll put a picture of that for all the younger listeners who don't know what that is. I love boom boxes. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, another quote you gave was that don't assume your way to something suboptimal. Talk about this connection between intuition, uh, assumption and reaching something suboptimal. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I want to I make it clear here, Neil. I use the word intuition because I understand that everybody thinks it's a really good thing. And I want us to really think deeply about the times when we should flex that intuition or not. So to say don't assume is not going to reach anyone. Uh, they're going to go, of course, of course, you shouldn't just assume. You know, Of course, you should seek to understand. Uh, but when I bring up a word like intuition, I know it's a loaded word. And I know that I'm going to catch people's attention. So really what I'm talking about here is don't be so assumptive. Uh, but I'm using words that uh, ideally paint uh, – an old, uh, an old, old guidance, which is you know, don't be assumptive uh, in, in a new way to kind of keep it fresh. Uh, so you kind of mentioned the word assumption a lot, and, I, and you're totally spot on. This is really all about assumptions. So to, to answer your question, I like to think about uh, circles, uh, like a Venn diagram, and one of those circles is what's needed. Uh, in terms of what's needed on the team, what work are we doing that's needed on the team, and the other circle is what's done. Uh, and ideally, those circles have really nice overlap. So what's needed and what's done sit right on top of one another. There's very little, uh, uh, there's very little not a lack of overlap. But uh, as, as if we've all been in businesses, we've probably seen that a lot of times what's done isn't what's needed. Uh, and uh, something will be rolled out and the people who actually, uh, who it's rolled out to roll their eyes and they go, well, that's not what we need. Uh, what in, the reason that ends up happening is People don't share early and often enough in the formative stages of whatever it is that they're doing to continue to sanity check if what's it's what's uh, being done is actually what's needed. Uh, the only way to uh, really get those circles to have some tight overlap is to share before you're ready. Is as soon as you come up with something that you think needs to be worked on, you go to the individuals who it's going to affect and you get some guidance on your outline. You help them fill in the gaps. You co-create uh, the, the goal and the plan uh, by just seeking some feedback. 
you ultimately are going to probably have the vote if you're the manager, but you should still collect the voices. You don't need to, the voices are not votes, but you should still go out and collect the voices so you can make a better informed decision. If we assume our way to suboptimal results, or we intuit our way to suboptimal results, it means we're not going out into the, in, in, to, our, to our team members and sanity checking and reality testing uh, whatever it is that we're doing. Uh, when we do more sanity checking and reality testing, the circles overlap. What's, what's needed and what's done are, are more or less the same. And that's just uh, a really positive thing for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you think about how far you've come as a company, the how far you've come as a product, what are, are some of those key, if you can point back to one or two of those key conversations you had along the way where reducing these assumptions, reducing this intuition really helped you create something better than what you would have done? You bet. So uh, I mentioned earlier that I started a business before Lesson Lee, uh, and I think that's probably the, the the best example. I can give you kind of that one, and then I'll give you a, another one that's maybe uh, more broadly applicable. So when it comes to the first business I started, it was called Quipple. It was quick polling software. And uh, I built Quipple entirely in a vacuum. I assumed uh, I knew exactly what Quipple should do. Uh, it, was, uh, it was helping people create uh, one uh, kind of simple one question polls that they can embed into their blog posts or articles. So I thought that I knew how to create this software. So I stayed in a vacuum for nine months with uh, the engineers who were helping me build it. And we perfected the minutest of workflows. And my assumption was I was going to nail this thing. I was a naive young man who had too much hubris. Uh, and when it came launch day, and I hit 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 send and sent that sent that uh sent, sent Quipple to 300 people who were on the waiting list, and I said Quipple's here. Within three minutes, I got an email back from a gentleman, and that email said, "Why doesn't Quipple do X?" And X wasn't X. X was an actual feature that isn't really worth getting into here. But it was a great idea. And in nine months, I hadn't considered it once. And in three minutes, after putting Quipple in front of this person, they saw something that I hadn't seen in nine months. Uh, that was very formative for me. And ultimately, Quipple, I think, didn't work out for a whole host of reasons, one of which uh, is uh, I didn't share before I was ready. I didn't sanity check. Uh, I didn't. I, I used way too much intuition in building the software. And ultimately, that meant I spent all of my budget on software development before I even launched. And that meant I couldn't iterate quickly post-launch on all the good feedback I was getting. So I didn't build something that people needed. I built something. I just got something done, but it wasn't what was needed. Uh, and then with Lessonly, we took an opposite approach. We built the bare essentials. First, we interviewed people uh, who would ultimately be our buyers, and then we built the bare essentials, and then we kept doing interviews. And then as customers came on, we listened, and we listened, and we listened, and we challenged, and we listened, and we challenged, and we listened, and we built slowly but surely and iteratively. Uh, that was a dramatic difference, and you know, I think the lesson leaves worked for a whole lot of reasons, but I think that put us on a really good uh, starting point is we got out of the vacuum fast, and we asked for feedback. To give you a more tangible example, um, sharing before ready uh, – is always challenging because it really challenges ego. It, you know, puts you in a position of I'm nervous. I'm going to look silly if this is wrong. When I put it in front of somebody, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to look silly. Uh, so I'm just going to stay in my vacuum and I'm going to try to perfect in my vacuum and I'm going to hope I get it right. And you know, fingers crossed, uh, I nail it. Um, we don't share because of fear and ego. And I find myself constantly having to fight uh, the fear and ego. And one of the ways uh, I, I made a mistake in the past, I think it was like a year and a half, uh, that, that is I think really applicable to a lot of folks is. I was building a PowerPoint presentation uh, for an investor deck, and I, re I really wanted to tell a story, and I perfected the details of, of those slides in that investor deck. And one of the slides I remember working on for three hours being like, this is so important. I got to dial this in. I got to make sure the corners are rounded pixel perfect. I got to make sure the words and phrases on the, on the page are, are, are perfect. Uh, and then I put it in front of uh, a group after all those hours and said, hey, guys, what do you think? 
And within minutes, we deleted that slide that I worked so hard on because it just didn't, it, it didn't flow. Um, and I could have saved myself all that trouble. So I like to tell people when you're in, when you're in the clay stages, get a lot of feedback. Don't wait till you've bronzed something, you know, and cast it in bronze uh, to go get feedback. Get feedback when you're still, it's still able to mold because it's really debilitating to hear feedback on something you worked really hard on. Going back and working hard on that thing again with the new feedback is really discouraging. So just avoid that altogether. Excellent. Well, Max, tell us a little bit about what you think the world of work minus intuition would look like if more companies adopted this. It'd be a lot more people asking, interesting, tell me why you asked that. Uh, little little, little extra questions to, to, uh, to statements or answers. So if somebody says, I don't think it's going to work, we don't just go, okay, uh, Brian doesn't think it's going to work. We go, hey, Brian, uh, tell us what you think will work about it. And that sounds incredibly obvious, but it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, another example would be uh, somebody says, hey, can you get that done quickly? And somebody tries to be less intuitive and responds and says, uh, hey, we'll totally, uh, totally do my best. Can you let me know what you mean by quickly? Like, when do you need it done? And can you let me know what's driving the urgency so I can prioritize appropriately? That's a world with less intuition uh, and more clarity. Awesome. I love it. Max, thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. And thank you for being a part of Work Minus. Neil, I love, I love this theme. Work Minus is such a great theme. I appreciate you having me on and uh, I I appreciate you uh, conversing with me. Thanks a lot. Take care. 